Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. I love to see people around saying hello, and there'll be time to do that afterwards. I think it's great to be back together again, so if you get a chance to hang out for a little bit afterwards and talk with some people, you should definitely take advantage of that time to do that. Um, for those of you who might not know who I am, my name is Courtney Herewald, and I am on the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights. Um, my husband, Brett, and I uh, have three children. You might have seen them running around now that kids are back here, which is great. There are three little blonde kids, Micah, Levi, and Sophia. They're seven, five, and three and a half. So they're a little bit crazy, but I love them, and I swear they're mine, even with the blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> but uh, we've uh, had a lot of years together, Brett and I. We actually just celebrated our 16-year wedding anniversary this past week, and so, yeah, yeah. So that's exciting. And um, before that, before we got married, we were actually uh, dated for six years, and we're friends a year before that. So we've actually known each other for 23 years, which seems crazy. Um, and so we've had had a lot of adventures and a lot of times to grow, and um, we both ended up actually meeting in high school when uh, I was 16, Brett was barely 15, and we met on a mission trip to Tennessee and would later go on another one together as well, so one of those stories. <laughs> but after a year of friendship and six years of dating, we finally got married, and, um, and we were even at different schools during that time as well. But um, we ended up after that time, we spent a year at, um, in Duluth doing university student ministry and preparing to move to Trondheim, Norway, which is where we would celebrate our one-year anniversary four days after arriving there. Um, we were asked to start a ministry for university students there, and so it was quite the adventure. So ask me about it sometime, and I'd gladly share more about that. Um, after those three years, though, we decided that we wanted some more um, practical training and other and theological training and so we decided to move back and found ourselves now in Pasadena, California, which was great for this Minnesotan here. Um, and so we spent three and a half years there studying together at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. Um, we wanted to be equipped for whatever kind of ministry that God would call us to next. And as we began our third and final year of school, we also began thinking about starting a family together as well. Um, it had been eight years, so we were getting all those questions. Um, so we finally decided, decided to start to do that, and um, our idea was that once we were done with school and starting a family, the expectation would be to continue to do ministry, to share the responsibilities of parenthood together, and possibly even stay in California. But however, as we neared graduation and I discovered I was pregnant, nothing seemed to be coming up for us to stay or to work together. Then Brett unexpectedly received an invitation to complete a hospital chaplaincy back here in Minnesota, where we're both from. He'd done one semester of chaplaincy as a, a student, but he seemed fit for it in many ways, and the idea of being close to our families here in Minnesota, especially with the baby on the way, and not having another option available at the time, um, we just really felt like it was God's leading and timing, and so we decided to come back. And so four months before our son was born, we moved back into my in-law's basement, where we would remain for the next year and the first eight months of my son's life. <laughs> this was definitely not how I had pictured this phase of life looking 
uh, we were so incredibly thankful for the generosity and hospitality of my in-laws, and they were really great. Um, and even for a job for Brett, but I kind of felt like the plans that I had had for what our life might look like were kind of disappearing. <laughs> I wanted to be a mother, but I had also hoped to be doing some kind of ministry or teaching and using those two master's degrees that I'd spent so much time and money and will be paying for forever. But things were not looking that way. So here I was, 32 years old, living in my in-law's basement with an eight-month-old who did not want to sleep and no vision of the future, really, other than that. I felt like that there was this great big detour sign like looming in front of me, except I had no idea whether or not I would actually end up back on the road that was leading me to the destination that I thought I was headed towards. And then Brett got offered a permanent position at St. John's Hospital in Maplewood, where he was interning, and he's still there actually today. And we knew we had to make some decisions about finding a home of our own, and uh, we were thankful for God's provision, even if that meant what life would look like now is me being at home full-time and him going to work every day. Um, but it was lonely, and it was a lot different than we had experienced before, and we didn't have many relationships back here as we'd been gone for so long other than family, and we hadn't found a church family yet either at this point. Um, and that had always been a part of my life, uh, and a very important part of my life. But maybe you're wondering why I'm sharing all of these things with you. And I know, have no doubt in this room there are many diverse stories, many things that have brought you to this place. And I'm sure for many of you there are seasons in life when things don't seem to go the way that you expected that they would. When we feel like maybe you're lost, alone, or afraid. Maybe you're experiencing one of those seasons right now. I've felt frequently over the years of my life and I'm this feeling, and I imagine that for many of us, that number has even increased in this room as we've been dealing with all the things that we have over the last year. We might feel like we're walking through life alone or that life is just happening to us and there's no hope. It can cause us to call into question the promises that we've received from God, especially when they seem so out of reach in our present circumstances. But you know, one thing I love about the Bible is the way that God tells us about himself through the many stories of, the different, kinds of, of different kinds of people. It seems that God meets people right where they are, and often it's in the midst of challenges and suffering and in our times of greatest need that God reveals himself most clearly. That's why the sharing of our stories, I think, is so important. We come to know more about who God is through the gift of one another. And I would love to get to know more of your stories as, as we get to know each other more in this place. And that brings me to the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. She's not someone that you hear talked about very often, but I chose to speak about her today because I think this story speaks to something uh, in each one of us. Her story is one in which there are ups and downs, there's movements forward and what seems like movements back. She has moments of deep fear and loneliness, doubt and despair, but also moments of deep faith and trust. Does that sound like any of your stories? I think it sounds a lot like the story of faith, the journey of faith. 
So we read about the story of Hagar in Genesis, and I'll just give a little bit of a background of who she is. She was an Egyptian maidservant that lived with Abram and Sarai, who would later be renamed Abraham and Sarah. So you've probably heard of them before. A couple who had been promised that God would bless them with many descendants through which all the nations would be blessed. But this promise seemed impossible as Abraham and Sarah were getting pretty old. Abraham was in his 80s, and they still had not had this child yet. They were tired of waiting and decided to try to speed things along and take things into their own hands. How many of you have done that with various situations in your own life? It can be hard to trust God in that time of waiting. And it was actually common practice at the time that if a woman could not conceive, they could give their servant to their husband to produce a child that would be considered theirs. Thankfully, that's no longer a common practice. It sounds a little too much like Handmaid's Tale to me. Uh, But Sarah suggested that Abraham attempt to produce an heir through Hagar so that God's promises would be fulfilled. So Abraham went along with this, slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Of course, it didn't take long before Sarah felt that Hagar was treating her with contempt, as the Bible says, and she blamed Abraham also interesting because it was her idea in the first place. (laughs) But Abraham told Sarah to deal with her as she saw fit, and with that, Sarah began to treat Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. So imagine being Hagar, now a runaway servant, which could be punishable by death, pregnant and completely alone. And here we pick up the story in Genesis 16, verses 7 and 8. It says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. And I want to stop here because I believe the questions that Hagar is asked are not without greater significance for both Hagar and for us today. The first words of the angel are these, where have you come from and where are you going? So first I want to look at where have you come from. Hagar immediately answers this question literally, but I think that there's more to it. We'll read several verses later that the angel actually tells Hagar that God has heard her cries of distress. God sent the angel knowing full well what had brought Hagar to that place, but the question's asked anyways. Why? I have a theory that God wanted Hagar to think more deeply about her story, about the journey that she had been on that had led her to this moment. I think that the question is for each of us here this morning. Where have you come from? What brings you here this morning? Are you running from something? Looking for something? Hoping to be found? All of these could have been true for Hagar. What is your story? While I know that most of us certainly can't identify with the particular circumstances that Hagar found herself in, I think that we can all think of times where we felt like life is just happening to us, that we're wandering alone in our struggles and don't even know quite how we got there. Maybe you don't know what brought you here today even, although I'm pretty sure God does. Maybe you've lost a sense of who you are, feeling stuck in a place where you don't feel known or cared for. I imagine Hagar felt that way. 
She probably felt invisible and now even more purposeless. This was not at all how she had imagined her life would turn out. It's probably, it probably felt like she'd been suddenly given what she could never have dreamed of as a servant, an opportunity that she was, to show that she was worth something, even that she had something that her master Sarah didn't, which was the ability to bear children. It's no wonder that maybe she had even treated Sarah with contempt, as it says, having been only seen as a slave up to that point. She'd been given a greater purpose, and now she was here, pregnant, alone in the wilderness. I can see how she felt overwhelmed with despair. In my own life, it was and is all too easy for me to get burdened down with the present until that's all that I can see. After I gave birth to our second son two and a half years later, I began to envision what life could be like now that it wouldn't be long until my body no longer was either sustaining a life through pregnancy or nursing. Um, we had decided that we were going to be done and we were happy with that and, and we were happy with our children. And I was thinking about how I might actually have the energy and the capacity to do other things than child rearing in my life. Even though there's so many incredible joys and in caring and watching my children grow up, it also felt like I'd been just trying to survive in a lot of ways as well. Um, and now I could finally start to breathe a little bit again. And so when my second son was seven months old, I found out I was unexpectedly pregnant again. To say I freaked out a bit is a bit of an understatement. I'll just say that uh, Brett stayed home from work that morning <laughs> with me the day that I found out. Um, I just could not wrap my mind around going through all of this again when I had just begun to begin dreaming of other things. And though I had always envisioned having a family, and it truly is one of the greatest blessings of my life, I can honestly say that. But I can also honestly say that there are times I felt like having children was at the expense of everything else. Like it felt like too much of a sacrifice sometimes. It took a lot for me to perceive God, the ways that God was forming and shaping me into more of who God desired me to be. And therefore also the person that I desired to be. I'm not sure that I could learn, have learned that any other way actually. And uh, I love this picture because it just represents so well my life at that, that time. Grateful, yes, but also incredibly exhausted and with my hands full. <laughs> so it's a good reminder for me of where we have come from. <laughs> you know, I've shared parts of my journey of motherhood with many of you, but I am continually realizing how both the challenges and the joys have made me more aware of my deep places of brokenness and fear. While God has certainly provided me with the strength and the grace to navigate these years at home full time with my kids, there's so many times when I thought that I wasn't gonna make it. Maybe you've experienced moments or even seasons like this. There's nothing so debilitating as feeling completely alone in your struggle. It's exhausting. It can make you feel useless and paralyzed. I can think of a particular day where this was especially true for me, and I can't remember all of the circumstances surrounding it. I just know that I had lost it yet again in front of the kids. And I mean, like, really lost it. Like, I'm embarrassed to say that there was screaming and door slamming and unkind words not just coming from the children. 
I was utterly exhausted and I felt completely alone and like the worst mother in the world. And after I finally got all the kids down for a nap, I walked into my filthy kitchen and collapsed onto the floor. I was just a mess of tears and groans. That was the only way I could verbalize what was going on inside of me. What I felt was abandoned, like I was stuck in this place where nothing I did was right and it wasn't even a fraction of what I was capable of doing and there was no affirmation at all. I felt unseen and alone in the despair that I was feeling. I felt lost and I couldn't remember who I was apart from my failures and fears. If you had asked me the question the angel asked Hagar, where are you coming from? I wouldn't have been able to remember. I imagine that maybe Hagar felt this way alone and pregnant in the wilderness. She thought that she knew where her life was headed, but things hadn't turned out that way. But just as like with Hagar, it was then in the midst of my loneliness, in the midst of my cries of distress, I had what I call my Hagar moment. <laughs> Suddenly, I had this sense that God was right there with me. Just as the angel of the Lord would tell Hagar, God had heard my cries of distress. He had heard me. He had seen me. It was as if God was asking me the same thing that he asked Hagar. Courtney, where have you come from? And I was suddenly reminded of all of God's promises over the years, all of the ways that I had experienced God move in my life and how trusting in him, even when I didn't understand, had always resulted in the best thing for me. The experiences I had had, struggles and all, shaped me into who I was most meant to be, not who I thought I should be or thought I deserved to be, I was reminded that I had come from a place of living for myself to one of surrender to God's plans for my life, whatever that might look like. My journey had been one of increasing trust in God's goodness and love for me. God knew me better than I knew myself. And it was all of me, who I had been, who I was even in the very moment of doubt, that he loved fully and completely. God had never left me, and every blessing in my life had come from God. How could I have forgotten? It's easy to do. So where are you coming from today? Have you forgotten also? I want to look next at the second question that Hagar was asked by the angel of the Lord. Where are you going? Notice that Hagar doesn't really answer this question. I don't think she had a clue where she was headed to. She would have had nowhere to go. Chances were highly likely that she would have died out there alone in the wilderness. You know, I've had many moments in life like that one on my kitchen floor where I felt so alone in the midst of my struggles and questions and doubts that this question, where am I going, becomes one that I ask about my life with fear and uncertainty. I'm unable to see past my present circumstances long enough to not only recognize all the ways that God has been up with me until that moment, but also to believe and trust in God's promise of a future and a hope. Chances are you may have heard this Bible passage from Jeremiah 29:11 quoted often. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
But I don't think many of us are aware of the context in which those words were spoken. True, it is a beautiful promise, but it also was a promise spoken to Israel in the midst of captivity, in the midst of despair and circumstances that were nothing like what they had ever that what they had expected, certainly not what God had spoken to them for generations. If they had looked at their present circumstances, there would have been nothing that would have given them any indication that God was going to fulfill God's promises to them. There was nothing that spoke of a hope in a future. They had messed up, they had not listened to God, and now they were far from home and at the mercy of another land. The promise made no sense to them. And here's Hagar, on the run with nowhere to go, And the next words the angel says are what? Telling her to go back to the very situation that she had just run from. In Genesis 16, 9, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. So I look at that and I say, what? (laughs) I do not think that this is what Hagar was expecting to hear. There was nothing in her present circumstances to indicate that this would be the right move, and especially not that it would result in more descendants than she could count. But then comes the reminder of who God is, even in the midst of her despair. Verse 11, it says, The angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. God was giving her the promise of a future and a hope in the midst of the wilderness. Not only would her son live, but she was being told she would have many descendants. God was not telling her to return to a situation that would endanger her life or her child's. So I'm going to be clear about that. Something would have to be different. This promise could not be fulfilled otherwise. And the name that God tells her to name Ishmael speaks of God's care and protection over her because God had heard and seen her. And I love what the Bible says about Hagar's response to this encounter in the wilderness. Genesis 16, 13 through 14 says, Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? As if she couldn't believe it, right? So that well was named Ber Lahena Ram, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. It's profound that Hagar is said in this passage to have given God a new name. It's the only time in the Old Testament where a woman is said to give God a name. And what a powerful name it is. You are the God who sees me. The one who sees, she says to God. This knowledge of who God was and that he saw her resulted in her trust in God. She trusted in the one who saw and knew her better than herself. She trusted that God was going to take care of her. And so she actually did return to Abraham and Sarah. Can you imagine what kind of courage that must have taken to do that? But she trusted in the one who saw her. 
You know, when I was weeping on the floor of my kitchen that day, God heard my cries of distress. God saw me, and God reminded me of God's promises. And I knew that I needed to trust, to let go of my own expectations, of my disappointments, of my feelings of failure. I needed God to speak over me who God says that I am, and also to remind me of who God is, the one who hears, the one who sees, the one who fulfills promises. And it was if in that mo- as if in that moment of completely surrendering and letting go, of being completely vulnerable before God, that I actually felt God lift up my head and draw me close and hold me. You know, there were no words, just a sense of comfort, and most of all, a feeling of being heard and fully seen and known. But even still... Since my Hagar moment, I have had many other moments where I've still felt despair. I've been angry at God for what felt like abandoning me and so many unfulfilled promises. How limited our understanding often is of God's ways. How easy it is to forget. And if we were to continue reading Hagar's story, we would see that she would again find herself in a place of uncertainty, this time questioning God's promises to her, even as God had been faithful to her all of these years. She would find herself once again, although this time with her 14-year-old son, Ishmael, thrown out into the wilderness by her mistress, Sarah, again. You should read the whole story in chapter 21. And Sarah had actually had a son. God had fulfilled his promises to her as well. The Bible says that Hagar and Ishmael wandered aimlessly in the wilderness until they ran out of water, at which point Hagar actually walks away from her son, not wanting to watch him die. What do you suppose she was thinking at that moment? How easy it can be for us to mistrust God's goodness when all we're able to see is the trial, the suffering, the appearance of detours or, plan, or to detours to our plans. How easy it is to forget what God's done in our lives. And the moment that we're in a situation that seems contrary to what is expected, we forget. The story continues with Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness in Genesis chapter 21, verse 17. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies here. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. See how God reminds her again of God's promise? Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water, She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. And these descendants of Ishmael would form an entire nation of Arabic peoples. And many Muslims today trace their ancestry from Ishmael. God, again, takes care of Hagar and Ishmael, and God's promises are actually fulfilled by bringing her into the wilderness to make a new place where she can thrive, a place where Hagar is no longer a slave to others, but the mother of a new nation. While Sarah had continued to see her as a slave woman, God saw so much more. So no matter what you have been told by others, 
who you are, or even who you have come to believe yourself to be, God sees so much more. And God wants first and foremost to see you as God's beloved child. Because when we embrace that identity, not only will we have eyes to see the living water that God provides for us through Jesus, but rivers of living water will flow from us to others as well. There's something so freeing in recognizing that if our lives are surrendered to God, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can get in the way of what God desires for us. And that sometimes God's promises are even being brought to fulfillment even in the midst of suffering. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Philippians in Philippians 1.6. He says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You know, my Hagar moment was a realization of God truly hearing and seeing me, even in the midst of my struggle, experiencing God's love and care for me right in that place. And I knew I could trust God to return to the life that I'd been blessed with and have renewed purpose for the present and believe in that promise. And even if it looked different than I expected, even if there are detours along the way, and there will be detours, but that doesn't mean that God isn't still working. And most often, God is forming and shaping us even in the midst of those struggles, drawing us closer so that we can actually surrender ourselves fully to God's plans rather than our own, because we know that God will finish the work that God started in us. So I want to ask you, have you had your own Hagar moment in life? Some of you, yeah. Maybe today is your day. God did not abandon Hagar. God did not abandon me. God has not abandoned you. God heard Hagar's distress. God heard Ishmael's cries, and God hears yours. God saw Hagar's need and provided. God saw my need and provided. God sees your need and provides the life-saving, living water that only Christ can provide. God hears you. God sees you. God fulfills God's promises. And if you're listening to this this morning and have never experienced what it is to know that the God of the universe hears and sees you and has a plan for your life, I want to pray that you would feel led to trust God today with your whole life to accept the saving, living water that's made available to us through God actually becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us in the person of Jesus. And loving us, loving you so much that he died on the cross for you and conquered death by raising from the dead so that you might be able to approach God with confidence, knowing you are forgiven, that you are free to walk in whatever good plans God has for you. Because they are good plans. And do you know one of the greatest gifts God has given me through these challenging years, along with a beautiful family that I adore and can't imagine life without, and an incredibly supportive and caring husband through all of these ups and downs, God provided this community for me of River Heights Church, just when we needed it most, just when I needed it most. We walked through these doors almost seven years ago and have never left. I honestly don't know what I would have done if I didn't have this community. I've experienced the life-giving water of Jesus through so many ways here. When I felt 
lost, alone, and forgotten, this community assured me that that was not true. They saw something in me that at the time I couldn't even see in myself. And they gave me opportunities to step out ever so cautiously and lacking confidence because of the season I was in, encouraging me that I still had something to give. As I've listened to God's guidance and taken steps of courage to serve in this community, I've grown in ways that I couldn't have imagined. And I believe God wants the same for you here as well. I know that this past year has been rough and there have been many changes and transitions, but thank God for a place where we can come in all of our failures and flaws and still be loved and encouraged to see the goodness of God all around us. If we would only let God open our eyes. Even if it feels like life is full of detours, somehow God meets us wherever we're at and lovingly guides us into the truth of who we are in Christ and in God's plans and purposes for us. So right now I want to invite the worship team to come back up, and as they do, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on these questions that were asked to Hagar. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and remind you to open your eyes and ears to see and know the truth that God hears you, God sees you, and God fulfills God's promises. God who began a good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished, which won't be until Jesus returns. He's always going to be working. So God, I invite you in this place. I thank you that you hear us, you see us, and you fulfill your promises to us. And God, I thank you that as we surrender our lives fully to you, you come to us and you meet us where we're at. And God, that you continue to be with us throughout this journey. And God, I just pray right now for anyone who might want to take that step to surrender their lives fully and completely to you, to know that they are not alone and that you see them and know them. God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts this morning and that you would encourage them to come and receive prayer, to let us know, to begin this journey together as we support one another in this community. God, we just thank you for all that you have done and all that you are going to do. Thank you that you see us even in the midst of our wilderness moments. Amen. And so this morning, I also have a few tips to offer us as we, as we continue to worship and as you think about this in the upcoming week. I encourage you to read Hagar's story in Genesis 16 and 21. There's a lot there that I wasn't able to, to talk about, but it's a really amazing story. And secondly, to to spend time in prayer, to ask the Holy Spirit to uh, reveal to you where you are now and where you've come from, and asking you to to show God ways that he's met you, to ask those questions. And our do for today is something that you can actually do today. (laughs) You don't have to wait for this. And I want to encourage all of you to come and receive prayer this morning because we have people that will be up here to pray for you. And I want to invite those people to come now if you're here. 
they're here to come alongside you in your journey and to pray with you for wherever you are at. And, you know, I think that sometimes God just says, don't wait, (laughs) to be courageous and to come up and receive that kind of prayer. And if you're feeling stuck and like maybe you're not being seen or heard or maybe that you mistrust God's promises or even doubt that God works all things for your good as you surrender to God, God wants to set you free and fulfill you today. God wants you to know that you are seen, you are heard, and that God fulfills those promises to give you a future and a hope. And sometimes we need someone to come alongside us because we're incapable of surrendering ourselves in our own strength sometimes. So please come up and get prayer. Don't wait until you think you figured everything out. Don't wait until next Sunday. God wants to speak to you today, to open your eyes today to the living water that God offers us. So God, I pray that you would continue to move in us um, as we worship together and that God, you would help us to be courageous and surrender our lives to you. And God, in the places where we might feel broken, in the places where we might feel like we aren't seen or heard, God, would you remind us, would you show us that you do, you do see us, you do hear us, God. And God, I just pray that even as we are in this community, God, I pray that you would draw us closer together. Would you form relationships and friendships so that we might support one another and be able to point out the good gifts, the good things in each other and in the world around us so that we might be encouraged to continue walking with you. So thank you, God, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do.